This is Novel Marketing, the longest-running book marketing podcast in the world. This is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and change the world with writing worth talking about. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr., the Vulcan of book marketing, and in this episode, it's time for another Ask the Vulcan. This is where I talk with a listener like you about questions that they are facing when it comes to getting published, promoting their book, and changing the world with writing worth talking about. And in this episode, I talk with Daniel, who starts off wondering about how to reach his reader, but ultimately we get to a far more fundamental question, which is how to find confidence and be more courageous in promoting your book. I think you're really going to enjoy this session of Ask a Vulcan on the Novel Marketing Podcast. Daniel, welcome to the Novel Marketing Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about what you write in your question. So I started out writing a middle grade fantasy series, and uh, I am an indie author, and then I just kind of felt like middle grade was a little bit harder to pull off on the indie world, so I moved to more young adult fantasy, um, which is the current series that I'm working on, um, and I'm having a hard time. I hear a lot about what uh, you really need to know what your readers want and write the book, the kind of book that they want to read. And that's kind of a concept that I'm struggling with understanding and being able to grasp. So when I'm writing my books, I think I it's a book that they want to read, um, but I'd like to get better at knowing how I'm actually delivering something they want. Yeah. And just so everyone knows, you're not a young adult yourself. How old are you? I'm 27. 27. So you're not you're not super old. <laughs> you're younger than me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you're not a teenager. So typically the young adult audience is, starts around 12, 13 and goes until uh, 18 or 19 is, is usually where the cutoff is. Now, obviously, a lot of people read YA outside of that age group. But when you get put on the shelf, the YA shelf, that's who's walking to that shelf in the bookstore. But that's not quite specific enough because there's a lot of different kinds of YA books. So what kind of contact do you have with the kids <laughs> when it comes to like interacting with young people? Uh, do you, are there any young people in your life that you interact with? Yeah, so I'm actually the youth pastor at my church. Uh, we have a smaller youth group, and I feel like my group is a little bit more niche because of where well, it's where I am and the kind of group it is. It's a very specific. A lot of homeschoolers, uh, for instance, so um, a little bit of a I think different audience than the general uh, public there, but that's probably my, the most contact I have with, you know, the younger group. And the other side of this is, you know, I'm not necessarily opposed to writing outside of the young adult genre either. I just, my, that's kind of where my, my issue is, is like, I don't know if I'm really writing for adults or young adults and what I, you know, where should I put my focus and stuff like that. Um, So that, that kind of plays into the issue, I think a little bit. Yeah, so one of the principles of marketing is to play to your strengths and to identify your unfair advantages. So the fact that you're a youth pastor is an unfair advantage if you're willing to leverage it. And I recently went to a homeschool convention, and I saw an entire world of publishing that has almost no contact with the outside world. And they are making millions of dollars collectively in this other world. So mm-hmm. there's the what I call the 20 books to 50K world, which is kind of like your standard indie author world and they are you know dominating niches like romance and military science fiction there's a lot of these indie authors who are making a lot of money writing a lot of books and they have a certain method that they go about in doing those books 
And in the homeschool world, there's a lot of fantasy authors making a lot of money, and they're using very similar tactics. They go to the book conventions, the homeschool conventions, and they wear armor or they have armor on display. It's not one or two. It's like they all do it. (laughs) And it's a real clear (laughs) sign. So there's these young readers who know, oh, the booths with armor are the booths that sell the kind of books I want to read. And there are thousands and thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of readers of these books. And they buy a lot of books and they buy exactly this kind of book, this kind of fantasy sci-fi style of book. Now, they don't care as much about that YA label. For some homeschoolers, they may be a little turned off, actually, by YA. They want to read a good story, and they don't want to be condescended to. But there's a lot of them out there. But it requires being willing to target homeschoolers. So uh, when you were talking about the, you know, oh, my group is niche, they're homeschoolers, that sounded to me like you thought that is a downside. Is that the group you're wanting, you're willing to reach? Uh, I'm definitely not opposed to writing to that audience at all. Um, I was just making the point that I don't think they necessarily represent the general, you know, public. But if that is a niche that I could write for, I'm definitely not opposed to that at all. Ah, so this is a really great point, and that is there is no general public. Okay, <laughs> there may have never been a general public, but there certainly isn't a general public now. Right. There are a lot of different ways to divide people and everyone is really different from everybody else. Right. There's Democrats and Republicans and they're very different. And those groups are very different from the third group, which is the please don't talk to me about politics group. Right. <laughs> and that's just one aspect of separating people. Then there's people who like to read books and people who don't like to read books. Right. That's the most obvious grouping. But once you are done slicing and dicing, People, the group that would be interested in any particular book is pretty small. And so you don't want to target a generic person. You want to target a specific person. And I call this finding your Timothy. So a Timothy is a representative reader, a single person with a phone number that you can call and ask their thoughts on something. So do you have anybody in your youth group who could be uh, the Timothy for your book? Yes, um, I have a couple in mind. So one reason I've been hesitant to do that is because, you know, I, I guess I, I feel a little awkward asking for um, that kind of, uh, like, I don't want to seem like I'm self-promoting, especially as a youth pastor. You know, I want to make sure that my first priority is to have a relationship with them and, and stuff like that. Um, and so that's not saying that I'm against doing that, but that's one of the reasons I've been hesitant uh, in the past. There has been a couple times where, um, it's kind of come up and I've suggested it and I, it's the vibe I've gotten. is just like, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't, maybe they feel awkward. Like what if they, you know, think it's horrible and they don't want to tell me and stuff like that. <laughs> so if they are silent, you can assume they don't like it. Typically, if you give a book to somebody to read, if they give you really vague feedback or no feedback at all, it's, it means they don't like it. And if they give you really Mm -hmm. specific feedback or they talked about the ending or they finished it, that's an indication that they do like it. Now, people are um, different from authors. And being invited to be on the beta reader team for a book, for most people, is an honor. And you're not charging them money. So you're not self-promoting. You're giving them exclusive access to your book before anybody else gets it. And if you reframe it that way, one, I think you'll feel better about asking them. 
But two, they'll be way more excited to join because who wouldn't want to be on this insider club that nobody else has access to? Teenagers love that sort of thing. <laughs> they want to be on the other side of the velvet rope, right? So pull that velvet rope across, be like, hey, only a handful of people are being invited. I saw that you're into this kind of book. Would you be interested in being a beta reader uh, for my book? Yeah, that definitely helps. And I will say that there are some students that I know that do very much read fantasy and sci-fi. And they weren't necessarily not giving me feedback on the book, but they seemed hesitant to like even take it from me. Even though I know that they read uh, sci To be fair, I didn't really push for it because that's kind of like, if I'm being just totally uh, open here, it's kind of a fear I have. I don't want to come across as like I'm using my youth pastor position to, to uh, you know, get get readers for my books. But maybe I just need to reframe my thinking. I mean, with the way you're describing it and approach it in a different way. Is your book beneficial to them if they read it? I believe so. I hope so. <laughs> Is it more wholesome than what they're likely to be consuming in terms of entertainment? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So then don't feel guilty helping them, right? You're making their lives better, right? It's like you've got this amazing food that's healthy and delicious and you see somebody eating insert the kind of fast food that you really don't like. Taco Bell, let's say, <laughs> right? And you're like, hey, I've got this food. It's healthy and delicious. You don't need to be eating that bean burrito from Taco Bell. You're doing them a favor. And you know, no offense if you love Taco Bell. You, you are the demographic that's into Taco Bell. So perhaps <laughs> that's a bad choice. But my wife and I literally eat Taco Bell every Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> when Chick-fil-A is closed, you go to Taco Bell. Um, exactly. <laughs> so... Um, but you have something that's beneficial, and I think you need to really think about if you believe in your book or not. Because if you don't believe in your book, that comes across as hesitancy. And if you don't believe in your book, nobody else is going to believe in your book. So you either believe that your book is amazing and will help people and entertain people and be a great alternative to Netflix or Fortnite or whatever the kids are doing these days, or you don't. And if you don't, then work harder on writing a better book. <laughs> but if you do believe in your book, then promote it without shame uh, because you owe it to your book. You owe it to the message in the book and you owe it to your readers that if it really will benefit them, why would you keep that to yourself? Yeah, those are really good points. I've never really thought about it from that perspective. I, it's always been kind of like a maybe that's just because there's there's kind of a stigma against uh, self-promotion. And, you know, obviously in some cases it is inappropriate but you know i mean you're right if i'm asking them if they read books like that anyway and that's something that they would enjoy i'm not asking them to do something they wouldn't want to do anyway um and i do believe it'll help them yeah i mean it's not uncommon for pastors to have the book that they wrote there in the foyer of the church you know you know often they give it to guests for free right it's this promotional thing but sometimes it's for sale uh, but in this instance, you're not even really selling the book. You're not trying to get them to pay you because what you're trying to create is a group of beta readers. And of those beta readers, hopefully you can find one who is your super fan. Right. So you give it to six of the kids in your youth group. You know, maybe three or four of them will really like it and one of them will love it. Right. So that one who loves it is the one that you want to keep happy because they represent all, everybody else who's going to love it. And so. I, there's kind of two things going on. One, feel free to promote your book. Don't feel guilty about promoting your book because that will hurt you. It Basically, it keeps you from being an author. If you don't believe in your book, you'll never be able to get anybody else to believe in your book. You won't sell any books. People won't read your book and you're wasting your time. 
Like, <laughs> do or do not. <laughs> there is no try. Uh, but the second issue is getting that group of beta readers. And in this, you can feel even less guilty because you're not even trying to get money from them. You're inviting them to the school kids club where they get free access to your books before anybody else. And they get to give you feedback. And you're listening to that feedback to make changes. I mean, that's fun. I mean, who wouldn't want to have that? That's power. Teenagers have no power and they get to influence something in the real world. That's exciting. Yeah, cool. Well, can I ask then, just hypothetically, let's say that I did get like five or six of them and, you know, they didn't give me any feedback. And so you said, assume that it's, they probably didn't like it for whatever reason. In that scenario, maybe it's, maybe it's the wrong audience or maybe it just honestly was bad. (laughs) And uh, how would I be able to get more feedback from that? Or at that point, should I, should I just stop with them? (laughs) So the one question I would ask is at what point did you stop reading? Okay. Like what page did you stop reading on or what chapter trying to try to get that information? If they stopped reading in the first page or two, then it's probably the writing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you got to be able to grip somebody the farther into the book they get. And then they give up. It may be that they're just not the right fit for the genre. The story doesn't grab them. But another thing that we'll tell you is if they're all giving up on it and they're different, it's more likely to be the writing. Whereas if some people are loving it and other people are hating it, it's likely the readers, right? You've got some people who really like elves and other people who hate elves, but they love dragons and your book has dragons, but it doesn't have elves and whatever, right? But if they're not giving your book a chance to find out if it even has elves or dragons, then it's likely... You know, you got to go back and work more on the craft and that's okay. (laughs) Everybody benefits from working more on craft. And if that's the case for you, what I recommend is getting books on craft. And we have a procedure for this in the five-year plan where every month we recommend a different book. And then you write a short story where you implement the lessons learned in that book. And so by the time you're done with this course, you've written dozens of short stories. You've gotten really good, really fast. And you have these great short stories that you can use for marketing and promotion because some of those short stories are going to be really good. Some of them are going to be terrible because you were writing in some new method that didn't work for you and you learned a lot, but the short story is probably not ready for prime time, but others are going to be really good. So that's what you do if if the craft is weak, but really you want to get their feedback. and, And this is where you have an unfair advantage because you're actually interacting with them in real life. So when you ask them, you can look at their face and see the truth <laughs> they're being nice to you or not yeah that's a that's a really good points that actually leads me to another question this has kind of been an area of confusion for me then because for there's been a few times where i've thought that homeschoolers might be a good market that I, it might be something that i i could write for and so i looked up some homeschool podcasts and reached out to a couple and i only had i had one reach back to me and they asked for my book, which is free on Amazon. So they just downloaded it there. And the feedback I got was that the writing needs work. I, however, do have a lot of like other people who read it and I've, it's got like 200 reviews and, you know, a lot of them are five star. I do get some bad reviews on the writing. Part of that is I couldn't afford an editor, so I didn't hire one. And I, I know that I'm suffering for that. And I actually just recently saved up some money and paid for an editor to edit that book. But I had two thoughts on that. It's maybe, maybe that means the homeschool market isn't, I mean, I always think that we can improve as writers. So I did take what she said and like went back over the book and I'm going to try to work on that again. But the other side of it was maybe the homeschool market isn't my market for that because of her feedback there. 
just hearing that, what's your opinion on that? So homeschool parents are very sensitive to proper usage and grammar. They're wanting their children to learn good English usage. And so if the copy editing of your book is weak, then they're not going to want their children to read it. So for instance, Sesame Street, very popular generally, not popular with homeschool parents because they don't like, or many of them don't like that the characters in Sesame Streets have poor grammar. Right, Me want cookie instead of I want a cookie. So most parents don't mind that, but amongst homeschool parents, that's very controversial, right? If you have a cookie monster shirt, you're showing that you're not one of us because we want to have good examples of good English. And so if, if they don't feel like your book is copy edited well, then that's a big red flag. The good news is that's the easiest thing to fix. Uh, you don't actually have to be good at that. When I'm saying get better at the craft, I'm talking about getting better at the storytelling. You can hire out copy editing. You hire a good copy editor and they can go in and fix your passive voice and your commas and your spelling and the usage. That's the sort of thing an editor can help you with. And every author needs help with that. New York Times bestselling authors who sold millions of copies still need editors. I interviewed Jerry Jenkins. He sold a billion dollars worth of books. He still gets editing for his books. So if he needs editing and he sold, I think, 60 million copies of his books, 80 million copies of his books, uh, you need a unit editing and everybody needs editing. And if you're struggling to afford editing, I recommend instead of putting your book up unedited, I recommend putting it up on Kickstarter to raise money for the editing. And I have had a lot of authors. We have a course on Kickstarter and I've had a lot of authors go through that course and they've raised two, three, four thousand dollars, seven thousand dollars, twenty thousand dollars, and they're able to pay for really good editing with the sales from their future readers. When people are excited about the book, they want it to be good, and so they help fund it, and then you have the money on hands. So that way you're not risking thousands of dollars, but you're still getting that editing. And if the Kickstarter fails, then that's an indication that the marketing is weak or the pitch is weak or the you know promise of the book is weak. And so it's a great way of testing to see if the cover and back cover copy and kind of the conceit of the book work. Because remember, most people decide to buy your book before they read it. And so what affects sales isn't really how well written the book is, at least not directly. How well written the book is does affect word of mouth, <laughs> but it doesn't mm -hmm. affect sales of a total stranger because they don't know if the book is written well or not. Okay, yeah. Well, so your takeaway would be that likely the issue with targeting the homeschool markets with my book is that the lack of editing and Probably if that issue is solved, that will, that, then it'll be much more marketable to homeschoolers. Yep. If, if a homeschool mom is reading your book and seeing a bunch of typos, she's seeing a lot of things she's going to have to unteach her kid so that mm. he gets a good score on the SAT. So your book is feeling like work for her. And it needs to feel like the opposite of that. <laughs> it needs to feel educational. It doesn't mean that it has to teach about the, you know, Carthaginian wars with Rome or, you know, be educational in that way. But it needs to be educationally edifying. And good editing is a big part of that. Cool. That's good to know. I will definitely uh, be keeping that in mind for my future books. <laughs> I honestly haven't even thought about the Kickstarter thing. My thought was I'll put it up on Permafree. And if it's getting, you know, good reviews, then I'll know that it's worth paying for the editing. I guess that was my, my thinking on it. But Kickstarter kind of like, you know, solves that problem because then you don't even have to put it out there with, you know, you can test if it's going to be a marketable book before you even put it out there. And it helps protect your reputation because when you put out an unedited book, it 
gives people a reputation that you're worse of an author than you really are because they're comparing your unedited story to somebody else's edited story. And so it's kind of like putting weights on your ankles at a race. It's not a fair race. Everybody else is going full speed and you're like huffing and puffing because your legs are unnecessarily heavy. So take the time to take those ankle weights of bad usage off and then start running. And you may be surprised how much better you do with some editing. Hmm. Any other questions? Um, none that I can think of right now. I mean, that's a, that's really helpful. I think I'll I'll just have to work on making plans. I think my next step is to make plans for editing and to make sure that I get all those books edited and I will, I'll look into Kickstarter and see if, well, just to, maybe I could ask you about that then, you know, with Kickstarter, what are some ways to reach out to people who, you know, if you're an unknown author like me and people don't, don't know your writing and they don't know your, what your stories are like, how can you reach out to people to help pay for a book that, you know, they don't even know of yet? I kind of worded that wrong, but. <laughs> yeah. So first off, I'd encourage you to listen to our episodes on Kickstarter because we have a bunch of episodes here okay. uh, on the Novel Marketing Podcast on Kickstarter. Include, in fact, for those of you listening, go to askavulcan.com. It's a new search engine I created that searches all of my podcasts across all of my websites. So you can type in Kickstarter or crowdfunding into that search engine. It will give you dozens of episodes on crowdfunding. Uh, so that's the short answer. But a couple of quick tips. One, you make as good of a Kickstarter page as you can. So really good cover. You do still need to pay for the cover of your book before you do the Kickstarter. You already have good art on your website that you can use. You'll want to create a video talking about why you're writing the book, why it's going to be an interesting book, and explain that as well on text. And then create a list of 50 people to reach out to one-on-one. Say, hey, I'm trying to make this book happen. I've got these rewards. You get featured in the book, right? You put together really good tiers and incentives, and you'll be surprised that people want to support you and want to support the book, especially when they know that at certain levels they get to have their name in the book. So again, for authors, having a name in print, not that cool. But for a reader, that's really exciting. They're immortalized for all time in the back of a book. And a limited edition, often assigned and numbered limited edition, incredibly popular. Because if if this ends up becoming a thing and you become a big deal, having backed a signed and limited edition book, that could become an investment, right? That may pay for itself. If you were one of the people to buy one of the first 500 copies of Harry Potter, uh, one of them recently sold at auction for like (laughs) $70,000. It was a good investment uh, because only 500 copies were made initially. And I think three of them were sent to libraries. So there's only 200 copies in the wild of the first printing of that book. And even fewer for a Kickstarter, right? You're probably not going to sell 200 limited edition hardbacks. So there's a lot of strategies that we talk about in the course, but those are kind of some to give you an idea. And I think you may be surprised how eager people are to back a creative project like this, especially when they know they're going to get the book, they're going to get their name in the book, they're going to get the ebook and any other fun rewards you put together. It's very incentivizing. Cool. I think that, that, you know, here you talk about this, the, the more I'm realizing that my, my biggest issue is, you know, having the, uh, I get, maybe it's fear of just like, I don't feel like, you know, it's because I'm an unknown author. I don't feel like anyone would want to. And that's kind of, I think the, the mental hurdle for me right now is just being able to, you know, put it out there. It's very common. Fear is perhaps 
one of the most common challenges for authors in promoting their books. And there are several ways to overcome that fear. And the most common is to replace it with another fear. All right, so writer's block, just another term for fear, fear of writing, fear of being understood. So most authors fight writer's block with a deadline, right? They're more afraid of missing the deadline and they attach consequences to the deadline. If you're afraid to jump off the diving board, but somebody says jump off or I'll you know punch you or I'll kick you, uh, suddenly jumping off the diving board is not so scary, right? <laughs> you put one fear can replace another. So that's one way to do it. But another way to replace fear is with love. Perfect love casts out all fear. And while I don't know if we can love perfectly, the better that you love your readers and the better that you love your book, the less afraid of it and of, of promoting it you will be. And the more that you believe in the mission of your book, the purpose of your book, if your book serves a higher purpose, the more that you believe in that mission, the more you won't care about it, right? You know, have some big, scary thug and you have some small mom, she'd be very afraid of that thug. But if that thug was threatening her child, suddenly that thug has a reason to be afraid of the small mom, right? <laughs> Do not get in the way of a mama bear. And her love for her children makes her a force to be reckoned with. And your love for your readers can make you a force to be reckoned with. So the more you get to know your readers, uh, not only will you know better how to serve them, but you can fall in love with them more, which gives you more confidence to promote your book. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, thank you for coming on the Novel Marketing Podcast. If you want to check out Daniel's books, we'll have a link to his website in the show notes. And if you would like to be featured in a future Ask a Vulcan episode, you can fill out the application form at authormedia.com. Quick update before we go. I threw together a funny little website called PickThomasBrain.com, and it's basically just a single page, but it's a Google search engine, and it searches all of the episodes of this podcast, all of the episodes of all of my other podcasts, and all of the blog posts that I've written for all of my websites. And so if you've ever wondered, does Thomas have an episode on this topic, just go to PickThomasBrain.com. Dot com And you can search and see what you find. It's totally free. It didn't take long for me to put together. I used Divi on thomasumstead.com and I used the Google uh, custom search engine. So no coding required. It was real quick and easy to make. But I found that I'm using it to look up to see links to old posts. And I hope that you find it useful. You can find it at pickthomasbrain.com. Com. And our featured course is the Ultimate Crowdfunding Course, which we already talked about in this episode. Learn how to use crowdfunding platforms like Kickstarter and Indiegogo to raise money for your book before the book comes out. This can be particularly useful if you need money to pay for editing. Everyone needs editing, but not everyone has the money. But you can raise the funds from your future readers. They pay for your book before it comes out. And Kickstarter, at least, is all or nothing. So you only have to give them the book if you raise the money. We have a lot more about how to use Kickstarter, how to get to 100%, and how to get beyond 100% at the Ultimate Crowdfunding Course. You can find the link to that course at authormedia.com. But if you're a patron of the podcast, you save 50% off the price of the course. So it is well worth it to go to patreon.com. First, become a patron of the show, help support the show, and then you get a big discount on this popular course. Speaking of patrons, our featured patron today is Shalene Weaver, author of Love Bird, book one of the Fruit Fables series of children's books. Love Bird the Squirrel has a new neighbor who is rude and mean. They devise a plan of action to restore peace to the backyard and learn that love is more than a fuzzy feeling. 
Shalene, thank you so much for being a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast. Thank you for keeping this show on the air. I really appreciate your support. If you can't afford to become a patron but still want to help the show, you can. Just share this episode with one writer you think would find it helpful. You've been listening to Daniel Rowell and Thomas Umstead Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast. Uh, this episode's audio was edited by William Umstead, and the blog post version of this episode is provided by Shauna Letellier. If you would like to find that blog post version or find a way to subscribe to new episodes automatically, you can find it at authormedia.com. Thank you for listening, and live long and prosper.